Hail and well met, friends. Welcome to Threat Dice, a podcast about tabletop role-playing games, storytelling, and the vagaries of the dice. I'm your host, Kylan Wigan. I hope that you are all enjoying Andy's The Worlds We Weave. I know that I am. It's so much fun to talk stories together. After all, that's why we're here. In fact, he's enjoying it so much, and we've gotten such a great response so far, that we're actually going to spin Worlds We Weave out into its own podcast. When we started TumbleDye, we all wanted to be game designers. Along the way, we discovered the joys of podcasting, and so apparently we're also becoming a podcast producer. You'll find the new link to The Worlds We Weave in the show notes. And definitely go on over to worldsweweave.blogspot.com for the latest spark and to leave your submission. I really can't thank Andy enough for helping Threat Dice continue along while I had to take a break. Medical issues, not COVID, have kept me away from the microphone for far too long. As such, I've had a lot of time to think about things and what I want to do with this space. We had a lot of great discussions last year all about the different aspects of role-playing and storytelling, and where and how the two can come together. The truth is, though, that while talking about things can be fun, there comes a time when you need to put the rubber to the road, as it were, and make something out of the blocks that we've been playing with. So, in the spirit of telling more stories, rather than just talking about them, I am here today to bring you the introduction to our first official entry in the Trove of Tales. Falcon's Cry was a fantastic experiment and taught me a lot about storytelling and podcast production, and it also helped nudge the rules of Trove to their near-final direction. But unfortunately, Bryn's tale doesn't quite fit with the direction of Trove and what we need to explore as we move closer to bringing this game to life. When we bring Trove to meet the world, we want it to be more than just a toolset. It is a platform for telling stories, but we also want it to be more than that. We want to infuse the game with the light and life of the stories we love right from the get-go. So, even though Trove will be a vehicle to tell almost any story you can imagine, we'll be including the bones of an all-new, original, epic fantasy setting to get things rolling. A world that faithful listeners may already find a bit familiar. I hope you'll come along. What follows is the prologue for Trove of Tales number one, and the story that will help us bring Trove to life. It's called Veritas. It is a time of darkness. The throne of the Vitaian Imperium, the most powerful and feared nation in the land of Silnarl, has been usurped by a madman. Emperor Grison, first of his name, has ascended to power following a brutal war and bloody coup. Rebellions sparked a flame in provinces near and far, brother turned against brother, daughter against mother, in a terrible struggle between those loyal to the realm and those loyal to Grison himself. Grison's power seems to stem from a mysterious grip he holds over the minds of his followers, from peasant to lord, who seem to be lost in an unreality created by the words of the Imperator's proclamations. The Imperial Heralds seem enchanted somehow 
behind their bronze masks, able to coax away even the most rational and intelligent citizens into untruths and false beliefs. On the far-flung northeastern edges of the Imperium, amid deep forests and deeper ravines, we find the small and unassuming Imperial outpost called Icaris. An unimportant backwater, they have remained mostly unaware of the changes and the struggles back in their homeland. It is here, in Icaris, where our story begins, and where we will meet our heroes. This is Veritas, Trove of Tales number one, powered by Trove. Outpost of Icaris, Year One of the Reign of Imperator Crison, three weeks after the fall of Imperator Veriaten. You know, said Rhea, dumping rocks and soil out of her knee-high standard-issue boot before tugging it back on. Some days I don't even know why we're out here. That might not be the best sentiment to share with your superior officer. Eris cast his eyes out over the tree line below them, trying not to think about the steep vertical drop only a few feet away. He slapped away a fly that had come just a bit too close to biting him. The insects were terrible in this region. No matter how much he tried, he just couldn't get used to the damn bloodsuckers. His palm came away with a smear of blood. Apparently, he'd been too late. Again. You'd have had me in the stocks by now if you didn't agree. Rhea stood up and fearlessly approached the edge, looking down over the narrow road, little more than a deer trail, really, far below. We've been watching this road for months, Sergeant. Months. Do we really think that anyone is coming to find us? Ever again, I mean? We'll get orders from the Imperial City eventually. Footsteps approached from behind them. Both Eris and Rhea turned to see Navar pulling his woolen cloak tighter around his shoulders. The evening air carried a chill with it that Eris felt all too plainly. Right, Sergeant. You're noble blood, after all. Someone has to come find you. Eris nodded, though in truth he wasn't quite so sure. Of course, we couldn't possibly have the fourth and youngest child of the thirty-ninth heir to the imperial throne lost forever in the northern wilds, he said, lending feigned confidence with humor. Both soldiers cracked smiles at the bleakness in his voice. In truth, the Legion had become family to Aerus far more than his blood relatives had ever been. He joined up initially just to ensure that no one sent him off to be a priest, or worse, a royal attendant. But then, his company had been commanded to the Northern Wilds, and he'd spent half a decade in the sole company of the same hundred, well, seventy-three now, soldiers. Icaris wasn't much. A palisade fence that they'd built themselves around a muddy river crossing that could be defended, surrounding a handful of buildings that they breathed, ate, and slept in. 
a latrine at one end that stank constantly of awful, another thing he'd never managed to get used to. In theory, this place was claimed by the Imperium, but there certainly weren't many Imperial trappings out here. There weren't even any other people. The road builders would take decades to get this far, meaning that they were out here defending themselves against only the natural dangers of the forests, holding on to some dwindling ideal of imperial property that meant nothing against the reality they lived every day. Think of it this way, Sergeant, Navar said, flashing a smile. By now, you might not be your family's youngest child anymore. Aeris, caught by surprise, let slip a laugh. Dear gods, let's hope not. If the old witch has gone and fetched herself a third husband and managed to somehow bring another wretched, mewling babe into the world, may lightning strike them both dead. They laughed for a moment, the hopelessness of their situation retreating beneath their humor, before they all sobered once more. Aeris ran one hand through the decidedly non-regulation, thick beard hanging from his chin. True that it was hot on the warmest summer days, but it kept the flies from biting his face, at least. It was something. No one could ever mistake you for anything but royalty, Sergeant, Rhea said, her voice filled with false honey. Come now. Even if the Imperium's enemies found us, they'd be as likely to try and ransom you as kill you outright. Remind me to throw myself to the direwolves before they get the chance, Eris responded grimly, and they laughed again. Navar cast his gaze out over the cliff and paused. Hmm. Sergeant. What is it, Navar? Aedas asked, rising to his feet. The legionnaire just pointed. Aedas approached the edge, keen to keep his eyes off the sudden drop. Instead, they were drawn immediately to movement on the road below. A small group of men, no more than a dozen. It was impossible to hear them from this far off, but the bright red flag of the Imperium couldn't be missed for leagues in the green of the forest. Well, Aedas said, resting his hands on his hips, seems like something is about to change after all. He turned back to the scout camp. Company, on your feet. We're back to Icaris double time. Now. They all scrambled at the order, even Sleepy Rhea, who would normally have put up a protest. The note of command in his voice would not be denied. Eris took a deep breath to steady his fluttering heart. News from the Imperium itself, flying the flag, could only mean one of two things. It was possible that a new company was on their way to relieve them, and that this was only the forward scouts. It could be that they were going home. The other possibility was much worse. He swallowed hard. He pushed the dark thoughts away. They'd been here five years, almost six it was past time for their assignment rotation. It was time to go home. As he helped the others pack up the camp, he tried to shake off the fear that gripped his chest. He convinced himself that he was just nervous about going home after all this time. Concerned that the Imperium might split up their company, send his friends, his family, away. Eris had never been particularly talented when it came to change. He liked to get himself established, and keep it that way, for as long as he could. He breathed slowly on the way back to Icaris. It's nothing, he told himself. Just the fear of things being different again. There's no reason to fear something you have no control over. 
but that didn't ease the crushing grip of anxiety around his ribs. Report, Sergeant. Centurion Hecka barely glanced at him from a parchment and quill on her makeshift desk inside the outpost headquarters. She paused, as though noticing something a bit off, and looked up at him. Centurion, Eris said. An Imperial party was spotted heading this way, on the southern road. What? She put the quill back into the inkwell and stood up, heedless of the dark stains on her fingertips and the smear of ink across the dried parchment she'd been working on. Is this some sort of joke, Sergeant? No, ma'am, he answered crisply. My scout spotted a group of ten moving along the road at a fast pace, on horseback. They should be arriving here within the hour. As the shock wore off, the amazement in Hekka's eyes changed slowly to warmth. Well, it's about damn time, isn't it? I thought they were going to leave us out here to rot. A moment of silence passed before Eris spoke. Permission to speak freely, Centurion. Hekka waved a hand at him impatiently. Go on. Our last missive from the Imperial City seemed to note that things were strained politically, Aedris said carefully, still not certain where the Centurion fell on the subject of the brewing civil war back home. You don't suppose this could be some bad news? The only bad news is if they tell us we're staying here, Hekka said, finally noticing the ink on her hands and giving a little sigh of frustration. <sighs> Otherwise, I'm on board. Was there anything else, Sergeant? No, Centurion. Thank you for your time. Dismissed, then. Adis turned on his heel and exited the small building. Back outside in the cool evening air, he gave a little shiver. He'd have to go and find something warmer for a night like this one. No matter how he tried, he couldn't shake the feeling that something terrible was about to happen. But when he tried, he couldn't imagine what it might be. Not to do but wait and see, he told himself, and went off in search of a fur for his shoulders and some warmer leggings. All 72. Another scout had been killed by an enormous ursin that day in an unfortunate misadventure. Of the remaining legionnaires, gathered in the flickering light of torches on the windless, moonless night as the sound of the Imperial party approached. Aedas felt his heartbeat flutter in his chest. His feet ached, standing in his hastily polished greaves and bronze chestplate. The form of the armor no longer fit him properly. It had been molded for a softer man. He had leaned out and hardened over the five years in the wilderness, and there was no expert armorer in their company to make the adjustments. His beard itched, but he couldn't move from his position of honor at the head of his squad, standing sharply at attention as the scouts who had spotted the approaching Imperials. The tension in the air could have been cut with a blade. Everyone knew that something was about to change. The blood-red Imperial flag came through the gate, flown by a standard bearer and flanked immediately by two legionnaires. These were not the battle-hardened frontier kind, though. Their armor was polished beneath the road dust. Aedris could almost see the smooth, unblemished skin of their hands beneath the gauntlets. They had been his, once. These were royal guardsmen, and they had ridden a long way for whatever they were about to say. He felt his heart sink further. 
cold began to creep in around the edges of his awareness. Despite the chill, a bead of sweat slowly made its way down the side of his face. He struggled to keep from twitching it away. Revealed at the center of the riding party was a man dressed in the most ludicrous costume Eris had ever seen on a legionnaire. The man wore an imperial herald's tunic, but the golden eagle symbol of the Imperium had been crudely splashed with a sick green color. A grotesque bronze mask covered his face beneath a legionnaire's helm, something no herald would have worn. The entirety of it made Eris's stomach turn and only further reinforced his feelings that something terrible was about to happen. Imperator Grazen sends his regards to all those who serve the Legion, the Herald said, his voice strange and distorted within the mask. Gasps went up from everyone in the camp, and murmurs began. The Legionnaires surrounding the Herald glowered, and Eris saw their hands tighten around the halves of their spears. Imperator Veriatin has confessed to treason and heresy beneath the eyes of the gods, and has named the conspirators in every part of the Imperium. These lands are unnecessary, and so this outpost is to be abandoned immediately. You will all return to the Imperial City at once. The Herald paused, and the mask turned slowly to regard all of them. Except, of course, for the traitor. More shock gripped the members of Eris's company. They looked around at one another in disbelief. Traitors in their ranks? Grazen, that snake! Eris had known the man most of his life, a coward, a spineless weasel of a man who had always pretended at power, but had neither the spine nor the guts to speak aloud. A man who moved in the circles of the powerful, tolerated there only because of his ill-gotten wealth, but held in nothing but contempt by those he aspired to be. Instead, he whispered, always whispered, a braggart, a cheat, a serpent in human clothing. How had he become Imperator? For his part, Eris felt rooted to the spot. He couldn't move a single muscle. Across the Isle of Soldiers, his darting eyes caught those of Rhea, who stared at him with wild panic. What was happening here? The Herald began to read out names from a long parchment proclamation. Some of the names on the list were those who had died, but even more were men and women that Eris fought alongside every day. Two were members of his own squad. As the last of the seventeen names was spoken aloud, the Herald stopped, looked down at them. Though the bronze mask hid his expression, Eris could almost see the sick smile that spread behind that hideous visage. And of course, for harboring so many treasonous heretics in the rank of this company, Centurion Hecker, bring them before us! Eris felt a compulsion wash over him. His stomach lurched. He wanted, no, needed, to grasp the nearest named traitor by the arms and haul them before the herald. One leg jerked forward, and goose flesh rippled across his arms. Then it shattered, a wave breaking upon the rocks, and he felt sick inside. His meager last meal felt as though it might make an escape any moment. He broke out in a cold sweat and looked around frantically, opening his mouth to speak. Not everyone had been so lucky. Several of the legionnaires had grabbed hold of their comrades and dragged them, screaming and fighting, toward the herald. These are lies! Eris found himself shouting aloud. 
Legionnaires, do not succumb to this forked tongue speech. We must stand against this madness, and we must do it together. Bring him to me, squealed the herald atop his horse, drawing a blade and pointing it at Aeris. He speaks treason against the Imperium. The world exploded into noise as the entire crowd erupted. Blades were drawn, spears taken from racks, and a frantic melee began as the bewitched legionnaires turned on their brethren. The herald's guardsmen rushed forward and began slaughtering the named traitors, helpless where they stood. He barely knew how, but Aerus found himself moving as he rushed towards Centurion Hecka, who struggled against two of her own legionnaires. No! she shouted. The powerful ropes of her muscled arms strained, but those who held her kept her off balance, and she could not gain purchase. I am no traitor. I am loyal to the Imperium. There was a spear in his hands, Eris realized, and he drove it through the back of one of the men holding the centurion. Talus, his name was, had been, and toppled forward, wrenching the spear from Eris's hand. Centurion! Eris cried out, his voice drowned and dull in the shouting. We must flee! I will not flee, she shouted, kicking the other man off of her arm and scooping up Eris's fallen spear from Talus's bloody corpse. I will not stand for this, I will... Eris stared, hands dripping with blood, as another legionnaire brought a heavy axe down on Hekka's back, cleaving deep into her shoulder and nearly taking her right arm off in a spray of blood and ichor. Her eyes went wide with shock, her mouth moving dumbly as she looked down at the wound, and then the light left her eyes and she tumbled dead to the ground. He felt frozen again. All around him a battle raged. His vision narrowed until all he could see was the herald atop his horse, that bronze mask thrown back and a peal of thin, high-pitched laughter echoing from within. That was the man who needed to die this day. Even without a weapon, Aeris made as if to surge forward into the melee, but he was stopped by a pair of hands on his arm. He turned, fist raised, ready to strike, but it was only Rhea who dragged him out of the torchlight, behind the long wooden barracks, out of sight and out of mind of the battle raging nearby. She stared up at him with dark eyes. Sergeant, she whispered in his ear. We need to go. We can't, he started, but she shook her head. Navar was there too, he realized. You were right, Sergeant, when you called out to the Centurion, Navar said, his voice thick with anger and regret. There's nothing that we can do here. Our only hope is to stay alive. We can't do that here. Eris gasped for air and felt as though he might never breathe right again. Come on, Sergeant, Rhea urged. We know every game trail for leagues around here. Even if they count the dead, they'll never find us. Not in these wilds. Where do we go? What do we do? Eris asked. Right now, that doesn't matter, Navar rumbled. Anywhere is better than here. Dead, we can do nothing. Alive, there is still possibility. Swallowing the shards of his pride... Eris nodded. There were few people in this world he could trust, but Rhea and Navar were not only his finest scouts, they were his friends. Let's go then, he whispered. West first. Three shadows against the cover of night as the outpost burned behind them. Eris, Navar, and Rhea vanished from Icaris and into the wilds, where their story has just begun.
Thanks so much for joining me today. Before we go, one quick thing. If you're enjoying Threat Dice, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, on Podchaser, or tweet us at TumbleDye. I'll read any reviews into the announcements on the next session. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, may the road ever rise to meet you. Threat Dice is a production of TumbleDye Games, LLC. Our intro music is What Lies Beyond, and the outro music is Storm. The main theme for Veritas is Last Stand, and the intro theme is Lifeless Eyes Watching, all by Vince Vept. Check out his amazing work at youtube.com slash vincevept, V-I-N-D-S-V-E-P-T. Additional music for this episode is by me. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Kylan Wigan. Fiction reveals truth that reality obscures. You can find Threat Dice on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.